Sunday, we have an awesome guest speaker who actually founded J-Road, right? 2009, I believe, and started in a living room, and that's Justin Thornton. So give it up for Justin. Um, many of you know and love Justin, and if you are new to Justin, he's an awesome guy. He did start J-Road with a group of faithful followers of Jesus and started in a living room, and right now he's currently operating for our district of our denomination as the multiplication director. So he actually helps churches plant churches, and he coaches church planters, and he's killing it in his role. So um, give it up for Justin one more time, and I'm going to hand the mic over now. What's going on? You guys look great. So many, so many of the familiar faces that you know, I'm, I'm still praying for. When I drive back into Muskegon, I don't know if you ever like, went back to your hometown you get all those feels. I get all those feels every time I come back to Muskegon, and then it's like on steroids when I walk and, and see you guys and hear your stories, uh, and I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for Maya, and, and now I'm praying for Lulu, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's, it's just a joy to come back and hang out with you guys and see all your faces again. Um, it's a joy that you have good coffee now. <laughs> that stuff is good. You know who I'm shouting out. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know. You guys are all working on this together. I don't know if you saw Brian put this like entire TV on his back. You guys have like a good operation going on here. He almost died just now, but it, it's all going well here. You guys are all serving. The serving team back there is doing an amazing job, although Bruce was quite cranky with me this morning. Other than that, it was, it's been going really great. Jim is a great like DJ. I like, he like hype beasted everybody just now. He's like, come on, quiche for a women's breakfast. And you guys are like, yeah. So it's just, it's a great culture you guys have built here. Uh, I want to start with this, this amazing revelation today, this revelation that I think will change everything. If we could grab onto it, the movement of America would be totally different, okay? It's an amazing revelation. It's something we should all get. Here it is. When driving, if you're in the left-hand lane, you should be passing somebody. Come on, come on. We're going to preach today. We're going to preach. Somebody needs to hear this today, mostly the truckers. I'm not trying to discriminate, but if you're in the left-hand lane, you should be going a passing mile per hour. Otherwise, you should be in the right-hand lane. We need to get a line before we get our assignment, okay? And it's that if you are not passing somebody, get out of the left-hand lane. I don't know if you've ever done this. My wife and I, we do this. Actually, she just watches me do this. But when we're traveling, I'm going 79 miles per hour. It's a Thornton family core value to go nine miles per hour over the speed limit. So I'm going nine miles per hour over, and someone gets in front of me, and they're going 68. And what I'll do is I'll, I don't know if you ever tried this. You can use it. You just use the force. You do this thing. Just kind of move them with the force. It's, a, you know, I watch Mandalorian, okay? All right. So you, you, either that or you can make eye contact with them. I like to make eye contact, and I go to New York on them. You just give them one of these. You ever make eye contact and give them one of these? You just try to move them over. You look like you're going to fight them. My wife always, she's like, what if they're a serial killer? I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm just, I'm angry that you're in the left hand. I think this would change the world if we could just know our assignment, get in, get in clarity, get in the right lane that we're supposed to be in, no pun intended. We're supposed to be in the correct lane, and everything would change about the movement of America. Now let's get a little bit more serious. And get off of an unserious uh, metaphor, although, stay out that lane. I'm just doing my part, okay? Stay serious on that. But let me transition to something a little bit more serious. If we knew 
the lane that we were supposed to be in and the lane that we were supposed to step into as believers in Christ. If we knew the assignment that we had, if we knew an identity that I think that we've tucked away underneath a couch cushion, we've tucked away in some sort of prayer closet somewhere, if we knew that, everything would change for us. The Big C Church would change. You, the makeup of the church. I don't need to say this here. You guys, this is kind of your phrase is be the church. We, we know that we can't pick up the building and take it somewhere to be the church. You, the makeup of the church, the bodies of the church, form the body of the church. If you understood your role in the kingdom of God, I think everything would change. If you understood this profound revelation, everything would change. Here it is. This time it's serious. You are a priest. You are a priest. Now look to a neighbor, tell him you are a priest. Give him, give him one more time. Yeah. Hmm, wow. Exciting. You, you, ever, you ever like physically dodge something? Like someone says something to you and you don't believe it, so you physically dodge it. Someone says, it's your turn. You're like, who? And you like physically dodge it. I, I felt that in the room. Uh, even when you said it to somebody, it was more of a question mark, high pitch at the end. You know, it was like, you're a priest, I think. I don't know what he's talking about. I think the word priest is obviously bloated, right? It's more bloated than your grandma after Old Country Buffet. But, and by the way, everybody gets bloated after Old Country Buffet, so it's, that's not discriminating. The point is, it's a bloated word, right? We think of some guy in a long flowing robe. We think of some religiosity. We think of somebody who is, you know, not supposed to be married. They're of the Catholic profession. That's what we think of when we think of priests. Some of us think of something a little bit deeper than that. We think of uh, religious bondage of some sort. Uh, Some of you think of abuse uh, because there's a long history of that as well. So it gets really serious at the same time. I need you to recognize a couple things as I try to make this point. One, we ruin everything, right? Humans ruin everything. We're kind of amazing at it. Whatever God creates as beautiful and good and pure, we ruin. God, you know, creates, you know, the planet. He creates the garden. He creates sexuality. He creates man and woman. He creates air. And we just, we're just amazing at ruining pretty much everything. We've ruined math. Anybody? Anybody? Math was fine, right? I got this, my favorite comedian. Math was fine. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like we were coming out of restaurants with all the wrong change leaving gas stations with all the wrong... T- we were fine with math, and not only that, but now we have calculators and Google, and yet still we're stuck during a pandemic with our kids and trying to teach them this new common core math that we don't understand. I'm pretty sure this is what the Catholics were talking about when they said purgatory, right? This, this is... We, we've ruined math. Math was fine. Math was already bad enough. Now we get create more complicated math, right? So we, we just have a way of ruining everything. And I need you to understand that God created something beautiful in the priesthood of all believers. He created something beautiful. And so we have to look at something in its original intentionality from God, not in how we've skewed it or perverted it or ruined it. Okay, that's, that's number one when, when trying to make this point. Number two is uh, something can be both occupational and operational. Right? Something can be both occupational and operational. My wife is a nurse, but if I'm with somebody and they're bleeding out and they have a gaping wound and there's no time for the ambulance to come, I can't look at them and say, sorry, bub, my wife's a nurse. Let me know how death goes. I need to step in there operationally because some things can be both occupational 
and operational. So think missionary, think evangelist, think priest, think pastor. These things have been given to us. The priesthood has been given to us, yes, as occupation, but also operationally as well. We're all supposed to move in and out of the operations of being a priest. Everyone should be a priest operationally. Now, please don't take this message today as I'm supposed to go to gym and I'm supposed to tell them I'm supposed to get the pulpit and I need to go to Bible school because that's not for everybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying operationally, not occupationally. Everybody should be a priest. And just so you know, I'm not lying. This is kind of our banner verse for today. It sits over the whole message. This is First Peter. But you are a chosen race. You're a chosen race. Uh, that's really a chosen kind is the best interpretation of that. A royal priesthood. Why are you royal? Well, because we're sons and daughters of the king of kings, right? You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. There's so much identity in this verse. Look, if you're struggling with your identity today, Go back and study this verse over and over again. You're a chosen kind, a royal priest to the holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God, God brings us into his home. God brings us into his family. He makes us chosen. He chose us. He makes us a holy nation, and he makes us a royal priesthood. It doesn't mean anybody got left out. If you gave your life to Christ, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become a priest in and of its kind. Why? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What Peter here is saying is there used to be this occupation only. There was this guy. He wore a holy robe. He went to a holy place. Even the temple had this place called a holy of holies. He went in there. He pulled out a sacrifice. He made a holy sacrifice in front of everybody. There used to be this guy, but there's going to be this shift. And there was this shift. And I want to talk about this shift that really started in Genesis. And there's a string of this shift all throughout the Bible. And that shift should play itself out today. Everyone should be a priest. I'm telling you, if we got this, you would go into your couch cushion and you would pull out your calling you would recognize that everybody's been given spiritual giftings. Everyone's supposed to disciple someone. Every neighborhood would have missionaries. Every job would have evangelists. We'd stop calling Jim for everything. Please stop calling Jim when your neighbor's sick. Please stop. He don't have enough time to go talk to you. He probably loves your neighbor in theory, but he probably puts down his coffee. He's like, ah, oh, crap. And he goes to pray for your neighbor. And the whole time he's thinking, could you just go pray for your neighbor? You're, you're their missionary. You're called to them. If everybody stepped into their calling as evangelist, as priest, as pastor, as shepherd, if you figured out what your spiritual makeup was and leveraged it in faithfulness, the movement of the church would be so much more powerful. We'd stop asking our pastors and our worship leaders and our elders to be these superstars that somehow reach a billion people by themselves and then somehow falter. And then we blame them for it. The whole system's messed up. The whole system's not biblical. The whole idea that you're going to go and show up to a church and someone's, you guys know, I've preached this before, you're probably sick of it. Uh, you're going to go to a church, someone's going to feed you and give you what you need and you can consume the goods and then you can go home and maybe consume a little bit more during the week depending on what Twitter handle you have and who you're following. But that's your job as a believer. That's not an effective movement. 
right? We're going to go nowhere. We're shocked that the church in America is dying by the second. Here's why. We're asking our leaders to be superstars, and it's relinquishing, up, relinquishing us of our responsibility to be followers and faithful believers of Jesus. Everyone should be a priest. Would you pray with me? And let's go into a message entitled, Everyone a Priest. Jesus, would you empower people today? I think you know that my tendency is to, to you know, yell quite a bit and, and ask people uh, to, to change their ways because I'm, I'm always mission-minded, but I'm asking you to encourage people and empower them. That they would pull these callings out of the closet, that they would understand who they are in you, that they would step into a new identity, and that we would change the world together in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you back to the first guy that we call priest in Genesis 14, if you want to turn there with me. Genesis 14. His name sounds like a sneeze, but he's super important. This guy named Abram, who's going to become Abraham, just wins a battle for God. Uh, he's going to get encouragement. He's going to get blessing. Uh, this person is going to do their job as our first priest. And here we are in Genesis 14, 17. You can try to keep up with me by turning the Bible pages, but we're going to go through a lot of scriptures today. It's up to you. To each his own. Dealer's choice. Verse 17. After his return from the defeat of that place, Charmander, I guess, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, I guess. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, God bless you, king of Salem. And don't, it's not Salem, okay? This is not Oregon. It's Salem. Brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Some of you will recognize this guy's name, Melchizedek, because his name is actually in the New Testament more than it's in the Old Testament. And that's because the book of Hebrews is trying to make the point that Melchizedek is the first priest, and uh, some make an argument that Aaron's the first high priest, whatever. The point is that Jesus comes from the priestly line of Melchizedek, and Jesus is, Jesus is the grand pooba of all the high priests. He's the king of kings, and he's the high priest of all the high priests. And so that's the point that Hebrews is making. And Melchizedek shows up, and he's starting to bless people, and he's starting to do what uh, the priest is supposed to do. But I, I understand that sometimes you read stuff in the Bible, like Melchizedek, and it feels like, uh, did somebody invite this guy to the party? You know that guy that shows up to the party, and you're like, who is he with? Is he with Bobby? Is he with Janet? I don't know who he's with. Is he supposed to be here? That's what Mel Melchizedek feels like throughout the New Testament. But now you know this is where he comes from. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So this guy is our first example of a priest. He comes to bless and more technically, his, his job description is this. This is a podcast that Jim and I listen to called The Bible Project. They say the priestly job goes like this. Here's the definition. He's supposed to be an intermediary between heaven and earth. Isn't that good? He's supposed to be an intermediary between heaven and earth. He's supposed to bring the culture of heaven, the practices, the, the core values of heaven down to earth and bring the core values of earth back to Jesus, back to God, after it's been blessed, after it's turned into worship, and after it's turned into sacrifice and surrender. So bring heaven to earth, bring earth to heaven. That's his job. And that plays out in so many different ways, and that's going to play out so many different ways in your circle of influence, but just at a basic level, at a broad level, his job is to bring heaven down to earth, or her job in our case, and, 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 and earth back to heaven. 
in worship and surrender and sacrifice. I think that we think that heaven is going to be this place that we go to in the end. That we, we die and then our soul kind of leaves our body and then we just kind of float up there. And we land somewhere up there in the atmosphere and there's golden gates there. But really what the Bible teaches us is that heaven and earth are coming together. That God is creating. Jesus is going to come, come back and create a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to have new bodies and we're, we're going to be a part of that new heaven and a new earth. And so that's what we're starting to do now. We're starting to be ushers of that now. That's why when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, Jesus hits him with this nugget. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's asking that we be ushers of heaven to earth and earth to heaven right now. So, like I said, we have a master's degree in screwing things up. Uh, we have a doctorate in division and distortion, and we've ruined this idea. Really, throughout the scriptures, we see a leadership problem. The people that are given this role and other leadership roles like it have a leadership problem. I'll give you two examples. I'll, I'll resonate on the second one. I'll, I'll, I'll sit on the second one a little bit longer. Uh, the first leadership problem is that leaders happen to be, from the beginning, sinful and broken. So Melchizedek's line, Aaron's priestly line, which is really the Levitical priestly line, his grandfather's Levi, their priestly lines are full of drama. They're, they're full of brokenness. They're full of sin. Uh, they're full of a, an abuse of power and drunkenness and sexual immorality and even incest. And if it was a reality TV show, I'm sure we'd like it, but we'd all be mortified all at the same time because of how broken this priestly line is all throughout the Old Testament. And you get to the book of Judges, and God's like, guys, I got this. Just follow me. Just let me lead you. Read the book of Judges sometimes. And then God's like, fine, I'll give you something. But they're like, we, we want people. Give, give, me, give me a person. Give me a good-looking God follower who's going to really lead us. God's like, but I got this. No, we want, we want somebody. So God gives them people over and over again. That's what the book of Judges is about. There's this big apostasy cycle. It's a big theological word, which just means they, they keep on going away from God. They keep on going away from God, and that's the book of Judges. And then we have the kings, and you know the kings are messed up. You know, the kings are messed up. We get to the New Testament, and I'll give you some examples later, but the point is we've been screwing this leadership up from the beginning. And I don't know if you've watched Christian news today. I don't even know if there is, like, a news thing, but if you're on Twitter or Instagram or you follow somebody that gives you Christian news, it hasn't gotten better. I don't know if you noticed. But now the person that we idolize is even more idolized. The celebrity pastors that we have, local and global, are even more celebrity. They have this thing about them that makes them easier celebrities. They can become celebrities overnight. And they have a platform that was only meant for Jesus. We give a station to men and women that was only meant for Jesus. And then they fail. And then we fail with them because we, because we idolize them and we centralize them and we give them stardom and we look at them like they can do no wrong and we look at them like they're Jesus and we follow them like they're Jesus and we wonder why, why it's caused us a, a world of trouble because we've centralized everything around the access of these humans. Let me just define that word idolatry for you. It's not going to be up there, but uh, Tim Keller 
defines it this way. Me and Tim Keller are friends. If he would just answer my phone calls, um, get lunch sometime. Tim Keller says, idolatry is taking something good and making it ultimate. And that's what we do with these leaders. Most of them have good intentions. Most of you have good intentions. But we make them your ultimate. We make them the ultimate thing that we follow and love and look at for an example of Jesus. When Jesus is there going, I cut out the middleman. I'm the middle, I'm the intermediary. You follow me. And then you show other people. We cut it out. There's been a leadership problem from the beginning. I want to go back to Exodus and show you uh, some of the examples of it, a string throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. And I'm, I'm going to start with Moses, who's a phenomenal leader. He's a phenomenal leader. Moses has led in a capacity that none of us could ever dream of. He's got Aaron by his side. Aaron is his brother and a priest, and Aaron's a bad priest. I don't know if you remember this story, but Moses goes up the mountain. Moses is going to hear from God. The people don't like how long it's taking, so they do what? They build a golden calf, right? And, and Moses is there, comes back down. He's like, Aaron, what happened? Aaron's like, see, uh, what you mean? Uh, oh, the golden cow? Oh, see, what happened was the people were very convinced. He's just terrible. He's a terrible priest. So Moses is doing this thing by himself, winning battles as a people. God has been faithful. God has brought them through the waters, and God has led them with a pillar of fire. God has done all these things. He's raining food out of the skies. So what's going to happen next is Jethro is going to visit. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. My father-in-law comes to give advice from time to time. That's what Jethro does. Rolls up into town, starts to give some folks some advice. Jethro looks around and realizes what God has done. So Jethro is going to do his priestly duty. He's a priest of Midian. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering. He's being a priest and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' uh, father-in-law before God. So Jethro's like, this is amazing. God is good. Look at all that he's done. They're going to go to sleep. Wake up the next day. From morning till evening, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for all the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, this is a word, church, what you are doing is not good. What you are doing is not good. Folks, this is, this is a word, this is a, I think it's a prophetic word for the Big C Church today. I think it's a proclamation over the big seat. This is so much more than a delegation passage. We like to get together as leaders and as pastors and go, let's teach us as a, de here's how you delegate. This is so much more than that. This is saying to the big seat church, it's saying to you, if your whole life hovers around, if your whole church movement, if your whole discipleship movement hovers around one or two people, what you are doing is not good. It's not good. It's not okay. 
It doesn't make any sense. Watch. The thing you're doing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. It's not okay. It's not good. First of all, it doesn't even make sense logistically. Like, can you imagine rolling up into a company, this huge company, and one or two people are signing all the checks. They're making all the leadership decisions, right? They're listening to all, the, they're the HR department. They're listening to everybody's problems. Everybody goes to them. You'd roll up in there. You don't need a master's in organizational leadership to roll up in there and go, the thing that you're doing is not good. What you're doing is not good. And he's speaking to Moses. Moses is a beast. You understand? Moses went into Pharaoh's office, his chambers, an emperor of an empire, a dangerous empire. And he walked his people out. And he's walking his people through the desert for 40 years. He's a beast. I won't even take my kids to Disney World. This is crazy. And Jethro looks at him and says, it's not good. You're not going to last. Now, it's not, it's not a coincidence that it's just a chapter later. <laughs> so after Jethro comes and says, look, the idolization of yourself, the people's idolization of you, the way that this whole operation hovers around the access of Jim, I mean Moses, uh, the, the way that this all goes around one person is not okay. One chapter later, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall now be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Does that sound familiar? For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a, you say it, kingdom of priests. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is where Peter gets his inspiration from. That's why I put it below. You'll be a kingdom of priests. Now, I bet you when, when Moses heard this, he did the same thing we did at the beginning. Wait, you're going to let them, them people be priests? Them people who've been whining the whole time? God did not say this was going to be easy. But he did say, you will decentralize this. You, you will raise up people. So this is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. God says you, you will get this out there. You will equip. You will empower. You will raise up. And you will be a kingdom of priests. So this shift from the beginning ha has started to come to fruition all the way back in Exodus. God says we're going to change this. Now let's walk it up till now. Let's walk it up right to today. Because again, you still may be doing that that bodily dodge of the word bullet, you're a priest. Do you, do you understand that we don't make sacrifices anymore? Like when was the last time that Jim rolled somebody up here, a little, a little, a little sheep, and was like, <laughs> oh gosh, that was so bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Why did it have to be a sheep? I should have picked like the bull or something. That's less hard to digest. So... We don't do that anymore. Why? Because there's been an ultimate sacrifice. His name is Jesus. 
So we don't need a priest to go into the Holy of Holies, do the holy thing, come out, bring a lamb in front of all of it. We don't, we don't need that anymore. Why don't we have a temple? Why isn't there a temple with different chambers and women are allowed in certain ones and men are allowed in certain ones and only the priest goes into the Holy of Holies and only the priest wears this thing where he looks like he's got the infinity gems and he looks like a power ranger. This is what it used to look like, right? Why don't we have that anymore? Because the temple's now you. Right? It's the New Testament. Jesus dies and resurrects and says, who has the Holy Spirit? Is it just the temple? Does the presence of God just hover around the temple in a cloud? No, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. Right? You're a priest. You're a priest now. You're what does all this mean? Let me give you two applications on the way out as you become the intermediary between heaven and earth in your circle of influence. Let's see how this kind of plays out. And look, I, I, I was writing this, and I think I remember always starting with repentance. So you're like, wow, this guy always starts with repentance. You probably don't remember any of my messages, so that's okay. But you remember a few? Okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> That's okay. I don't remember last week, so that's okay. Uh, number one, we need to repent of our over-glorification of the occupational priest. Some of us have spiritual crushes, and we need to chill out on that. Like some of you got a spiritual crush on Stephen Furtick. Some of you got an actual crush on Stephen Furtick. You got to chill out on that, too. You, you got to repent of that thing. <laughs> he's handsome and he's buff. I get it, but you got you to chill out on that. Somebody got a spiritual crush on, on Francis Chan. And we need to repent of that. I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second. Number two, we need to step into our role as operational priests. You're an operational priest. So what does that look like? Now let's, let's start with the first one. Uh, again, re repentance means to not just confess, but turn back to Jesus in this area. So you confess, Jesus, I've been walking this way. It's sinful. It's broken. I need to turn around back to Jesus. And Jesus, you tell me how I'm supposed to flow in this specific area. That's what we're doing with the repentance of the overglorification of the occupational priest. So either that's Jim or either that's somebody else on staff or some other pastor around or some other pastor on Twitter or Furtick or whoever else you can name. I don't really know who you're going to name, but that, that could be anybody. And you got this spiritual crush. And here's what happens with that spiritual crush. They replace your faithfulness. Right? So God has asked you to go to that person in your neighborhood, in your job, uh, at your travel soccer, your kids' travel soccer. They've asked you to do that, but that person's asking you about Jesus. They're asking you to be an intermediary between heaven and earth. And what do you tell them? Oh, well, here's Stephen Furtick's sermon. Or you should go to unity, Becky. Uh, you should go to unity, and you should listen to these people worship. Me and Becky joked about that beforehand. Where's Becky? I couldn't see her. Because usually I, I make eye contact and we laugh together, but I couldn't do that, so now I feel bad. Where's Becky? Okay, uh, okay. all right. Okay. All right. She's ticked. Okay, we can reconcile later. Okay, so we, we tell them, you take this form of faithfulness. Or, or like we said, you, you, you have Jim come. Jim, you come and pray for my buddy. He's got a broken leg. He's in the hospital. No, you go pray. 
You go pray. Kids ministry, disciple my kids. No, you disciple your kids. It's impossible to disciple your kids one hour a week. They're just trying to survive back there, right? There's kids doing spit wads all over the place and tooting. It's like we can't, can't disciple your kids during tooting hour, okay? There's the inappropriate for Jared. Jared was like, slip one inappropriate thing in there for me. There you go, buddy. Okay, okay. This is what we do, though, right? So not only do they replace your faithfulness, but they replace your intimacy with God. So instead of being able to go to God alone, you need their books, you need their tweets, uh, you, you need their content, you need their sermons. Some of you don't spend time with Jesus without their sermon. This is crazy. They replaced your faithfulness, and they replaced your intimacy with God. And we got to repent of that. God doesn't want a middleman between you and him. He wants you and him, okay? Last but not least. By the way, let, let me just, I know this, I'm, I'm dragging this on a little bit. This, this makes its way into the New Testament in such a, such a crazy way. Just go to 1 Corinthians for me. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, who is coincidentally a mess. He says, but I, 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 brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, you're not of the flesh, and be, are you not of the flesh and not behaving only as humans in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? I didn't know why that one's not up there, but you, you, you get the point. He said, you, one, guy, one guy's following this, one guy's following that. Why are you following Paul? Why are you following Apollos? Why are you following Cephas? Who's Peter? Do you know how he answers that? He says, did, did Peter die for you? Are you baptized in the name of Paul? This makes no sense. But from the beginning, we're just obsessed with having a face to follow. We're obsessed with having someone gifted to follow. Some of you are obsessed with becoming that gifting. You're wanting a station that's not yours, and so you go to gym every year, and you're like, I'm supposed to be in leadership. I'm supposed to go to Bible school. I'm supposed to preach. Give it to me. Because we think that that station is something to be glorified. When Jim will tell you, he probably wants to quit twice a year. He prays through it, praise God, gets some counseling. We're okay, but he wants to quit twice a year. I did too. It's not, it's not a glorified position. We're just a priest, just like you. Number two, we need to step into our role as operational priest. Can you imagine if every single person in this room decided, I'm going to step into my role as occupational priest, operational priest. So here's what that looks like. Right now, I have three circles of influence outside of my job. Three of them. One is my neighborhood. Okay? I'm the priest in my neighborhood. If someone's going to bring Jesus to my neighborhood, it's me. And then I'm going to raise up another priest in my neighborhood and we're going to tackle this thing together. And then my kid, J.D., now, he's, he's eight years old. He looked just like me, and he's playing travel soccer, okay? Cute kid. Good-looking kid, all right? <laughs> Talented kid. All right, that's enough. All right. I'm the priest of that travel soccer. Nobody, nobody asked me to be. Nobody gave me the title of chaplain, but I'm the priest. These, these are my jobs. And then that coffee shop that I inhabit all the time, I'm the priest. 
And it's not because I have a degree. Matter of fact, they don't care. When I try to explain to them, I'm the multiplication director. They're like, what the heck is that? Oh, I help people plant churches. They're like, what? What even is that? They don't care. They don't care about my degree. As a matter of fact, if I tell them my job, it actually puts me way down the list because they're just confused. So I just need to be the priest. I need to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven in their presence. It's your job. Where's your circle of influence? Let's pray. Some of you are in one. Some of you are, are in two. Some of you are in one and two. <laughs> you need to repent and you need to step into your role. Uh, and so we're going to worship here. But I'm going to ask you to talk to God on your own. Remember, you don't need me to be the intermediary, intermediary for you. I can't, I can't do that. Imagine me bouncing around the room trying to figure out what your prayer request is. It's your time to go to God. So during this song, I want you to repent. I want you to verbalize in your head or maybe quietly or maybe loudly. I don't care. I repent of glorifying this person, over-glorifying this person, idolizing this person. And then there's a number two. Start praying for those people that are in your circle of influence. You're their priest. Start praying for boldness. Start praying for boldness. Start praying. For, you need to pray for boldness every single week. P P Peter got beat. And then he came back to his people. Actually, it was Paul. Paul got beat and he came back to his people. They got, both got peace. And they prayed for more boldness. They got beat for talking about Jesus. They got beat up to a pulp and then sent back home. And they went home and they said, we need more boldness. Got to pray for boldness every week. For your circle of influence. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we pray for uh, the room right now. We pray for the people in the room that they will receive a word from you. They would receive what they need to either repent of or what they need to step into. And they would do both those things. We thank you, Jesus, that you changed the game. You made the shift. We thank you that we now have full access to you. You've given us spiritual giftings. You've given us natural giftings. You've given us talent. You've given us treasure. And we want to turn it around and surrender it back to you in worship and in faithfulness. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.